There we are. So we are recording. And um, please just know that I will be muting everyone's line just to make sure that we have um, you know, enough time to get through the training material. We will have some time for questions throughout the training. We also will have some time for questions at the end of the training. Once the materials are completely finished, we'll have plenty of time for questions as well. So I do want to introduce uh, myself and my team. It's, I'm Megan Cox. I'm the Division Manager for Program Evaluation and Research in the Department of Finance and Budget. And we are leading the administration of the Loudoun County ARPA um, federal uh, recovery funds for this particular tranche to funding opportunity for nonprofits. These um, training materials are supported by Christine Powers, who is our ARPA coordinator, and she will be walking you through the training, what the requirements will be for the application, etc. We also have Barb Lawrence, our grants coordinator, um, who has helped with the um, development of the application as well as completed the tranche one administration. And we have Tracy Alperstein, who is the nonprofit grant support specialist for ARPA, and she will be hosting some training sessions on grants management as well as um, data collection and other opportunities for nonprofits starting in October. So there are plenty of folks on here to answer all of your questions. And if we don't know the answer, we will find it for you. Uh, with that, I do encourage those who can access the chat to enter your questions as we go along into the chat box. We'll stop periodically to answer those questions and we will um, make sure that we get through all of the material and have plenty of time at the end for questions. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Christine to get us started. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, thank you, Megan, for bringing everybody together in introductions um, and handling the technical things for me. Um, I'm here to walk you through the grant program for ARPA's Tranche 2, um, talk about what we we've defined this program, um, what we expect for the application, reporting requirements, things like that. So this will be a quick walkthrough of that and a little bit of the application itself. I'm not sure if anyone has taken a look at that yet. So I'll be showing a little bit of the application and how to fill that out when you get to that point. Um, so again, my name is Christine Powers. You can reach me through the nonprofit email if you've already um, are familiar with nonprofits at Loudon.gov um, and I will go ahead and get started. Um, our agenda today, if I can click that one, our agenda today is just to go over the funding. Uh, you'll see the letters SLFRF. Um, if that's a new phrase that maybe you are not familiar with, uh, we'll go over the eligibility criteria of applying and we'll go over the funding objectives and programs application overview and then the expectations we have for reporting and then the outcomes of the program itself. As a quick overview, if you have heard the letters SLFRF a few times before, uh, what it is, uh, SLFRF stands for State and Local Fiscal Recovery Funds. Um, it's basically funding that was appropriated through the American Rescue Plan Act. 
which is um, overviewed or overseen by the U.S. Department of Treasury. Uh, you'll hear us kind of use those terms interchangeably, SLFRF and Treasury as a governing body. Uh, Treasury is the one who developed the final rule, which gives us the tools and guidance for eligible uses of these dollars. Um, these dollars went directly to states and counties and some cities and tribal governments for direct administration and to basically um, use as they see fit to recover from the COVID pandemic and the subsequent economic impacts. Um, what we have then done in our decisions, uh, we had a tranche one, which was half of that money that was awarded to Loudoun County came in June of 2021 that went towards more emergency services right away, revenue replacement, things like that. Um, what we saw in 2022 in June is that second half. And this is where the funding comes for this program. In April of this year, the Board of Supervisors made a decision on how we are going to spend some of those dollars from tranche two. And with additional feedback given from our nonprofit organizations, we got a better idea of how we are still recovering out in the county, what needs are still there, what is still considered an emergency. Um, we had a lot of uh, feedback and office hours and just lots of conversations from the winter to April of 2022 to better inform our recommendations to the Board of Supervisors. It was then that they made the decisions on funding 2.5 million of these tranche two funds to nonprofit faith-based organizations who are still assisting the community with recovery. What is also being illustrated um, I was not in on the slide. What we wanted to focus on too, with the impacts of the pandemic remaining, um, the board also recognized that a lot of that impact was placed on some of our low-income residents, marginalized residents, underserved residents. So they wanted to focus on sustainable programs that offer uh, long-term effects. And so we can all come out of this pandemic with some sustainable long-term recovery. Within the state and local fiscal recovery funds, in the final rule, Treasury provides a framework. Now, Treasury does give a long list of eligible uses, what they call enumer enumerated uses of the SLFRF funds. They know that it's non-exhaustive. So knowing that they can't itemize every eligible use, they've given us a framework when deciding how best to support our community. The first step is to identify that public health or economic impact. What we want to see is where is that need? What is that impact? What is the magnitude of that, that impact? Um, we have a wide variety of places to put that, whether it be public health, um, assistance to households, small business, nonprofits, industry, things like that. So by identifying that need, we can then start to build and design a response that uh, responds to that impact. What we do want to do is keep our projects aligned with those eligible uses. Um, and if we don't have a direct connection to an eligible use that's listed in the final rule, we are able to still illustrate that there is a need and that we've designed a program to address that need and it is reasonable and proportionate to that impact. That's what we have to be able to tell Treasury. 
So in designing our program for addressing emergency needs out in the community, that's what we've considered is a assistance to households, assistance in mental health, um, basically focusing our attention on low-income, disproportionately impacted communities and making sure that our response is targeted and reasonably designed to benefit that community. The SLFRF and Treasury have made definitions for us to um, comparing an impacted community versus a disproportionately impacted community. Um, when they give us this non-exhaustive list of enumerated uses, they also recognize that the pandemic caused broad-based impacts that affected many communities, households, small businesses. Um, then the final rule describes these impacted households and the communities. The pandemic also caused disproportionate impacts, uh, more severe impacts on certain communities. For example, low-income, underserved communities that faced severe health and economic outcomes at higher rates of um, you know, COVID mortality, unemployment, often because there was pre-existing disparities exacerbated by the impact of the pandemic. So to simplify administration of the SLFRF program, Treasury has presumed that certain populations were impacted and disproportionately impacted by the pandemic. So they have kind of given us this list of helping us identify those populations. You'll see in the impacted column, you'll have low or moderate income households, any household that's experienced unemployment, food insecurity, housing insecurity. When you get over to the disproportionately impacted, you see low income households, households within qualified census tract, households that qualify for certain federal programs, and other households that experience a disproportionate negative economic impact of the pandemic. What we have to do as a county, as a recipient of these funds, is illustrate who we're targeting and who we're helping with these programs. Um, Treasury asks us directly to identify these, pro uh, these populations when we are in reporting. So we have to check a box that says we are focusing on low-income households. We are focusing on households in a census tract or any of those qualifiers. So we have a list that we have to pick from to illustrate who our target population is with these programs. So, um, and I only put a few examples here. I'll be providing a longer list uh, to you guys when the time is right, when it comes to reporting requirements. Um, we also have um, rules around income and federal, federal, federal poverty guidelines to help us identify low and moderate income. And I'll go over that a little bit more in the next slide too. So to further define our impacted and disproportionately impacted, when we get to definitions of income, um, Treasury gave us the tools uh, in the form of a spreadsheet uh, that has every single county and jurisdiction that was provided an award through the SLFRF program. What it does is identify the area median income and the federal poverty guidelines, which they'd use the um, health and human services poverty guidelines for those dollars amount, dollar amounts. Because our target population is the low income in Loudoun County, they have defined that as 40% area median income or 185% of the federal poverty guidelines. 
What that means in Loudoun, a uh, family of free, three, 40% AMI is 46,440, and 185% federal poverty guidelines is 40,626. Um, the income threshold by family size is the greater of those two. So in this case, the greater would be the AMI dollar amount. So when designing programs or using income levels as a qualifier, you can use the higher of those two. Um, for moderate income, Treasury uses 65% AMI or 300% of federal poverty guidelines. Here in Loudoun, 65% for a family of three equals 75,465. And 300% of FPG is 65,880. Again, you would use the higher of those two. Treasury assumes that low income is a population that was disproportionately impacted. So I wanted to highlight this here to reiterate that this is what the county is focusing on, those at a low income level. Um, we are all very well aware of the area median income here in Loudoun County. So 40% uh, of AMI, I, I do understand that a lot of nonprofits in this community have focus on, on lower than that, which is great because that's the population we're trying to reach. Um, what we want to know is the long-term impacts we can have using these um, short-term funds. Uh, what can we do in the long-term to set these households up so we know that even if these um, Rescue Act funds run out, that we have established something that can continue on long after these dollars are spent. So what we need to do as a county is capture a lot of this data. We need to capture who is uh, receiving these funds. Um, if we are not using income as an indicator, um, what other ways are we determining their eligibility? Treasury lets us use eligibility for other federal programs as an indicator. So if they know, if we know that a household is using other federal programs like SNAP, WIC, Medicare, Part D, Social Security income, things like that, um, we can use that as a qualifier, even if we don't necessarily have their income information right in front of us. So we know that if they're already on Section 8 Head Start, we know that they would qualify and be considered low income in that in Treasury's definition. Um, if we're not capturing in income information or if income is not the factor, um, what is the factor that has made this household more severely impacted by the pandemic? What other underlying causes, what other um, pre-existing, that's what I'm looking, pre-existing disparities that exacerbated the impact of the pandemic? We know that it could be a situation where they're underserved. They are ge geographically speaking underserved. They are marginalized in another way. So even if we're not focusing on the income, what other factors are involved that we need to understand and know that because of those factors, that's what caused the disproportionate impact from the pandemic. And Christine, can we just pause for a quick Absolutely. question? We do have two questions in the chat, and um, both of the answers are yes, but I just wanted to make sure that this is in the transcript. If a child is involved in 
the child welfare system, are they automatically considered a part of this LMI? Yes, uh, and quite honestly, it would not even necessarily have to be an income qualifier. Um, Treasury does have a, a pretty long narrative in their focus on children that are in the welfare system. Um, even outside of these funds, ARPA itself, there was you know a whole moratorium during COVID um, to make sure that kids that are aging out. So they recognize that's a population that is at risk and um, does need additional help. So while we couldn't use an income qualifier, that would be a situ situation where we would be using a different identifier to show that there's pre-existing disparities or other factors involved that increases their risk of negative impacts from the pandemic. And I think the, the same answer would apply to this question. If a child is designated McKinney-Vento, do they automatically qualify as well? And I would say yes, because um, any, any child who or household um, who is precariously housed or who may be experiencing intermittent or um, long-term homelessness would also be a part of that um, disproportionately impacted group uh, that that Christine just described. So there are, you know, there's the Treasury's list is not exhaustive, um, but it does provide the blueprint for how we need to be looking at these disproportionately impacted populations. Yes, yes. And, and income is just one factor. Um, OK, good. Thank you, Megan. Uh, so what does that mean for Loudoun County? Um, with these we'll call them tranche two dollars. Um, the purpose of the state and local fiscal recovery funds, SLFRF uh, nonprofit grant program is to support sustainable recovery from the negative economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, specifically for Loudoun's disproportionately impacted residents. Through the nonprofit community, the emergency services that complement the county's programs are ready and make long-term transformation into the lives of low-income, underserved, and otherwise marginalized, marginalized households. Um, we want to focus on those emergency services because we know there is still uh, a need out there, and also focusing on evidence-based programs using those emergency services other resources and partnerships that provide for long-term solutions and a way to create or maintain a path for a resident's self-sufficiency, or at least something that would indicate that there is a more sustainable program uh, for them, whether it's identifying another existing program through the county or through another uh, organization um, to get out of an to get that household out of emergency mode and onto a more long-term path. Uh, we want to look at root causes as well. Since Treasury tells us that we want to identify those pre-existing disparities, we want to know if that is what is contributing to the factors into this household. Um, we want to make sure that our long-term goals include 
support for families as they regain their financial stability, that they may be addressing multiple overlapping issues. Um, the county also recognizes that pandemic fell, the impacts fell on low income and underserved communities and sees this as an opportunity to address those household needs and also identify those factors that contributed to the disproportionate impact of the pandemic. So what we want to see is um, we want to support those long-term solutions. Um, I know that we are getting a late start uh, with this application. Um, I know a lot of you may have received funding through Tranche 1, um, which ended at the end of June of this year. Um, this funding source will go back and be retroactive for costs that were incurred from July 1st of this year. Um, so you will still be able to recoup those costs if that was a burden um, in that program uh, and know that those would be covered under this program as, as, as well. Um, what we want to be able to do is capture data. Uh, we want to see what is happening here in the county. We want to know of these households that are still being impacted uh, either directly by the pandemic or because of those pre-existing disparities that have just made it so much harder for them to recover from the pandemic. Um, we are focusing on emergency services because they are an emergency and we will be uh, asking about those long-term solutions that your program offers and how does your organization put a client on a path to self-sufficiency or at least a more sustainable solution. So that's where you hear these tranches come to play. And this is where I want to point out the difference between funding under tranche one and funding under tranche two. Uh, in tranche one, it was a lot of um, just immediate response. The county wanted to make sure that nonprofits were able to keep their doors open and handle the influx of uh, residents that were coming in for assistance. So whether it be a need for you know more emergency services, uh, greater client count that were coming in your doors, uh, or just being able to save off um, an economic disaster in your organization, that was seen as responding to the financial assistance and financial need of the nonprofit. The nonprofits were a beneficiary of these SLFRF funds. So we were providing the assistance to these nonprofits to make sure they could stay available to help residents in their time of need. Tranche two here, Loudoun County wants to fund a nonprofit organization as a subrecipient of SLFRF funds to administer a program that provides specific direct assistance to, res to residents who then in turn are the beneficiary in their recovery from the negative impacts. What it means is that there's a difference in reporting requirements for us as a recipient. Uh, we are the recipient of these SLFRF funds and we are funding a program uh, to a nonprofit organization that can administer a program on our behalf. Um, we are going to administer these programs through a wide range of entities, which uh, Treasury allows either whether it be nonprofit or even for-profit entities, this program is focused on nonprofit to carry out eligible uses of these funds on behalf of the recipient, Loudoun County. 
So, in other words, boiling it down, uh, in tranche one was to help the nonprofit recover and maintain service through the pandemic. Tranche two is to provide non a grant to nonprofits for the specific purpose of providing a emergency service to and assistance to residents. So we will basically be providing a grant in the form of a subaward for a more technical term for a nonprofit to carry out a program of rental assistance, for example, on the county's behalf. Um, what that means is that the county will have some reporting, additional reporting requirements, which also means that the nonprofit will have some additional reporting requirements. What it also means is that the uniform guidance, which is another governing document from um, the U.S. government, we have some definitions that we have to apply in this case, that one of which being a subaward, which is distinct from just a regular contract. Um, in that uh, an award is provided by the recipient, Loudoun County, to a subrecipient to carry out part of that federal award on our behalf. Um, what it also means for a nonprofit and where we have to make sure that the awards are given to a nonprofit that could handle more robust reporting is that this also means that these nonprofits are subject to the Single Audit Act through our subject to the Single Audit Act. Um, we have a, an outside third-party auditor that will be auditing our use of uh, um, these SLFRF funds, which means that documentation uh, through the nonprofit will be subject to this audit and we'll be, we'll be asking for supporting documentation. And even at the time of the audit, we may come back and ask for additional information if our auditor asks for it. So. Having said that, that's probably the biggest difference with these two sources of funds and the way that they're being administered through this program is the reporting requirements. Treasury asks a lot of us in reporting. Um, they have given a wide leeway with the use of these dollars, but it also in turn then makes our reporting requirement uh, a little bit more stringent in that case. So. Basic eligibility requirements are similar to uh, tranche one in being able to provide proof of good standing with the Virginia State Corporation Commission, proof of your nonprofit status, and providing the last three years of your IRS 990 forms and other financial documentation. Um, also showing that you have an established evidence-based program and partnerships to assist residents in one of these target areas. Um, I will, I'm highlighting the word establishment established here because this is not to fund new programming. This is for funding only evidence-based established programs, ones that can demonstrate the need and see successful outcomes as a result of the program and positive outcomes for your participants. So in addition to these um, basic eligibility requirements, we also want our applicants to demonstrate some additional criteria um, showing a documented data-driven COVID-19 health or economic impact that your program will address or uh, documented data-driven underlying causes for a disproportionate impact of the 
COVID-19 pandemic, um, show documented outcomes, show that your program or service provides direct benefit to Loudoun residents, and demonstrate that your program or service targets Loudoun residents that were disproportionately impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic and its or its negative economic impact. Uh, show you documented efforts by the organization to secure funding from other sources and demonstrate that your organization has the administer, administrative resources to implement and oversee this program and service and show existing and intended collaboration and partnerships with county agencies and or other nonprofit organizations to develop sustainable solutions for residents. Um, grantees agree then to sign a certification at the time for receiving these funds, and then we'll be able to show and demonstrate that the funding that you're requesting in this application is realistic given the service level and that the organization is not relying predominantly on county grant funds. So, you probably then saw in the press release the funding categories that we are focusing on. Um, this is based on a lot of the feedback we got from our nonprofits on the existing needs that are still out there and how we can best focus these dollars on those needs. Um, we will be focusing on fewer organizations that have reporting capabilities necessary to assist the county in reporting requirements to Treasury. And um, I'm going to reiterate again that we are targeting our low income population. So we would want this your program to also target low income or otherwise disproportionately impacted residents. Um, you'll see we are focusing on the categories of rental assistance which is emergency short-term rental support, providing tools, skills, and resources to help individuals and families become housing secure. So as far as Treasury's eligible uses, this is rent assistance, counseling, legal aid, preventing eviction and or homelessness, um, and housing, um, any housing, housing stability service to enable eligible households to maintain or obtain housing. Food assistance. Providing nutritious and culturally appropriate emergency food services as part of a comprehensive strategy for individuals and family to regain self-sufficiency. Utility assistance, providing emergency utility assistance is also as part of a comprehensive strategy for individuals and families to regain self-sufficiency. This would be the focus of like electricity, gas, water, trash removal, things like that. Um, energy costs, even such as fuel oil. Not for our Western Loudon folks, that's they're still heating their house that way. Um, mental health, uh, providing support to affected residents in meeting their mental and behavioral health needs, with a focus on population that have limited access to mental health services due to income or other factors. Uh, this could include, as far as eligible uses, could include like home visits, um, child welfare, like we mentioned earlier. Um, group supports, things like that. Uh, we have an other category because we recognize that there are still other needs out there. Um, we want to provide that as an option to nonprofits who may not fall into the rental food or utility or mental health categories, but they still see a need. Um, 
this would be to provide support to individuals or households in their recovery. Um, what we would want if you are applying in the other financial assistance category that you clearly indi uh, indicate the residents in the population that you're focusing on, uh, provide data regarding the numbers that you see, the um, what you have witnessed during the pandemic, the existing need and the sustained need that you have um, been noticing and then how your program is effective and its ability to make the greatest positive impact on that population. Uh, so going back even to Treasury's table of um, their framework of identifying the need and then having a program that addresses that need um, reasonably and in proportion to that impact. Christine, we do have one question in the yes. chat. Um, can you request funding for multiple programs? Yes, um, since uh, the way the application is set up, we wanted to make sure that everyone had plenty of uh, room to talk about their programs. So it does force you to choose one per application but you are welcome to apply for multiple programs. You would just use a separate application for each. So if you're applying for rental assistance, you would use that application to focus on your uh, your numbers for number of residents for rental assistance, the rental assistance program itself. Um, the way we are reviewing these applications is that we're grouping them by these assistance categories. Um, so we'll wanna make sure that we're we're focusing on your rental assistance program and then separately focusing on your food assistance program um, so that you um, have equal opportunity to get those programs uh, uh, assisted. So yes, uh, apply for whichever you feel that you are qualified to provide. And I will say this does go back to the requirements that Christine mentioned earlier for tranche two versus tranche one, where in tranche one, the county reported organizations as beneficiaries of the funding, which gave more flexibility for um, operational costs and flexibility in moving some of the budgetary requirements and expenditures. Now that we've moved into tranche two with the organization as a subrecipient, you will need, we will need to have a much clearer delineation of expenditures so that we can report to the federal government um, and to Treasury how each of these um, categories is broken down and what the expenditures look like within each category. So this is part of the, the more strict reporting requirements. So we're trying to make it easier to report from the organization standpoint and then thus um, being able to aggregate those at the county level. Is, uh, that was it for questions on that? Part? That's okay. it for questions. Okay. Oh. Big picture. Um, like I said earlier, we are focusing on long-term solutions as well. Um, we want to focus on direct assistance to residents and the network of resources for long-term impacts. Um, I also mentioned earlier pre-existing dispar uh, disparities, compounding factors, um, what factors are com contributing to the disproportionate impact. Um, we want to see effective interventions to bring 
residents out of emergency and into long-term solutions. Um, we want to see how you identify the factors that contributed to a disproportionate impact of the pandemic on that household or in individual. Um, what is very helpful even for the county is knowing those underlying factors. Um, we may see that there were um, those underlying factors that just had to do with geography or access to um, online help with school or even just awareness of programs that are available. Um, we want to know if there were reasons why a household wasn't getting help that they needed prior to the pandemic, even if they clearly qualified for assistance. Um, so we want to capture that information because if at all possible, we want to get to those underlying factors and find those solutions. So this is where we talk about a network of resources. We want to make sure that we're not only utilizing the nonprofit community as a whole and having everyone involved in these goals, but we want to make sure that people are using county services that they are qualified to use. We want to make sure that we are reaching out to each other and that we are using those programs that maybe aren't being offered by one organization, but are being offered by others. So when we identify those disparities, we want to then find the solution that gets them out of that position and gets them away from being vulnerable to any other financial impact. We don't want another pandemic level impact, but we want to make sure that these households are not going to be um, so vulnerable to this kind of stuff in the future. Um, so we want to make sure that we're recognizing eligibility for other programs. Um, like I said, like county programs, state programs even. Um, so we want to utilize those resources. So um, in your application, if you are already um, using a lot of the network in that sense, we want to see that. We want to see what you have planned for these funds and how you're going to identify those resources um, and in finding and designing those long-term solutions, um, like spokes on a wheel of how we're getting everybody involved in the household's recovery. Some of you may be familiar with something called a logic model. Um, we use a logic model in our tranche one uh, grant program. Um, this helps us design a path to longer term outcomes. Um, here I just have some quick definitions of what a logic model uses. Um, when you have your inputs, your inputs are your resources that you use in your program. Um, could be anything, could be your staff, could be your materials, um, just the things that you're using to run your program. Um, your activities are using those resources to accomplish your planned activities. You're actually carrying out the program as, as intended. Your outputs, your immediate outputs, are the number of services you delivered, um, how many clients you served, your um, how many clients received rental assistance this month, how many clients received utility assistance, how many uh, sessions with uh, your clients as if you have if you have a mental health um, assistance program, um, 
your short-term outcomes would be the immediate benefit to your clients, their satisfaction with your service, um, if they are now employed and before they weren't, uh, if they have childcare where that was their need earlier. Um, our midterm outcomes, we want to see, you know, what does it look like in three months, six months, nine months, um, depending on how your program makes those measurements, we want to know at what point you make those measurements, what you use to make those measurements, and how we know that it's been a success in the midterm. And then our post-ARPA impacts, uh, where is this, uh, what do our long-range outcomes look like to show that there's a larger community impact? Do we know that there is sustained housing? Do we know that someone has now been employed for you know, more than a year? Um, have they been able to keep their job because the kids are in childcare? Um, things like that. We wanna know that these funds have just been multiplying as time has gone on in the form of results. Um, I don't know, should it, if anyone wants me to go over, I can show what our logic model looks like. Do you think that would be beneficial, Megan? So far, we don't have any questions, so I All think right. I think we're okay. All right, good. Um, I'll be, we go into more depth with the logic model when it comes to reporting, so um, you'll, you'll learn everything you have to know about that later, too. Um, so our application overview, I'll kind of go into what our application looks like now. Um, if you haven't already, um, our grant opportunities page on the website will show the announcement, have the link to the application itself. Um, the applications are all due October 14th. So um, you have some time to get everything together. Um, you'll have time if you do have multiple programs that you want to apply for. Um, what I'll do here is kind of give you a little high level of what's on each page. Your first page, you're gonna see uh, general information. Uh, this is just where you're gonna be entering your um, information about your organization, your contact information, um, what you want to see, you know, uh, backup comfort, uh, contact information, um, address, things like that. If you have a second address, that's your um, legal address that's different than your loud and operating address. Um, this first page also asks a question about collaboration. Um, because we are funding a fewer number of organizations with tranche two than we did with tranche one. Uh, we would like to know if you are applying with the intent to collaborate with other nonprofits. Um, if you know that with rental, like using rental assistance as, as an example, if, um, if you are the recipient of an award for rental assistance, it may mean that you see an increase in referrals from other organizations. Um, we want to know if there is a collaboration between you and other organizations to make the most out of these dollars. Um, if we don't want to miss any residents out there, we don't want anyone to have to turn anybody away. So we wanna make it known that if a rental assistance program is being funded, that the right people are getting access to that. Um, so if you know that you have organizations that you would currently collaborate with, 
or know that you will, uh, you can indicate that on this page too. just kind of make a quick mention of who you work with, um, what your programs look like when they interact together. Um, that kind of thing. Um, application details. This is when we get into the program questions um, and here. Once you select the program that you are applying for, um, it kind of just drops off some other questions later on. So if you're focusing on rent assistance, you'll see questions later in like the budget and stuff that just focus on rent assistance. Um, so you don't have to worry about fields that aren't applicable. Um, this would then, if you are selecting the other, there is another um, section that provides some more explanation of the service itself, just a high little description of those services. And then you go on to continue to talk about the impact. Um, what is the biggest impact of COVID-19 on your residents that you provide services to? Um, I feel like I want to share this since I only took a little screenshot. I'm going to share quickly my screen to show the application itself. Yeah, I think that's a good idea, Christine. Thank you. And in the meantime, while Christine's pulling that up, we did have a question in the chat, and I think this might be for our Laserfish guru, Barb. Um, <laughs> will we be able to save our work in progress on the application? And will the county provide a worksheet to help brainstorm the program questions section? So that's a great question. Currently, I don't believe the application is set up with a save feature. Um, that is something we can work to add. Um, as far as the spreadsheet is concerned, um, what I would um, no, we will not be providing a spreadsheet or a worksheet for you to work from. What I would recommend doing is just printing off the questions um, and and working from them that way. Yeah. So, so in other words, if you wanted to go into the application and print each page, you can do that without hitting submit or without answering any of the questions. Is that correct? Barb? Yes, that okay. is correct. And there will also be a manual. Is that also correct? Yeah, I've been putting together uh, a manual to kind of break out a little bit more description for some of the questions that we're asking, um, just in case it isn't entirely clear. Because um, some of the questions may not be totally obvious. Um, so we'll walk through these questions here and then um, as I make like these recordings available, then I'll um, have that manual together, more finalized form that we can provide too. Um, so then what we see here on the program questions, we have where you select your rental assistance or assistance program. Um, this is where you would describe the other programming. Um, what you want, this is, um, this link, the Treasury link here, this brings you to the spreadsheet that I mentioned earlier. It's Treasury's tool to help you determine um, the low and moderate income breakdown. So it'll show you uh, by county, a family of two, three, four, ten, uh, what the area median income is, uh, what the federal poverty guidelines are. So it'll help you in 
um, determining income eligibility. Uh, here you'd want to talk about your continued impact of COVID-19 on your residents that you provide services. Um, we want to hear about the last 12 months specifically. Um, what I know is that it's kind of been a long slog with this pandemic, um, but we've also, I think we're at a place where we're now seeing a lot of those um, pre-existing disparities that maybe have made the impact greater for our residents. And we can start to see what the last 12 months has looked like. Um, have they been recovering? Um, do you see greater numbers specifically due to the COVID-19 pandemic itself? Are people still having health impacts? Are people still trying to recover from the negative economic impacts? Um, just give us a description of what you still see as a COVID-19 need. Um, and then as much detail as you have, the better. Um, then you'll go on to talk about your projected number of residents, uh, what you might see based on your last 12 months, 24 months. What do you see now for the next 12 months? And then the following 12 months after that. Um, what are your projections based on? So in your next question, you want to describe your targeted demographic. Um, I know that there are um, nonprofits out there that focus strictly on low income, and this would be a good opportunity to talk about how that is identified. Like, um, are these populations one you Go, seek out or are these populations that come to you and that you determine their income levels um, through your intake? Um, we want to know a little bit more about how you identify the demographic that you are targeting. Um, and especially if you've seen a change in that as well, even through this pandemic, if your targeted demographic is different than, say, previous to the pandemic. Um, Next question, you'd be talking about um, your program itself. And this is where you describe your program and include your data to support your description, um, whether it's an increase over previous COVID requests. Um, you'll have an opportunity to talk about whether or not you've received other um, pandemic-related funding. So you'd want to use this as an opportunity as well to talk about how maybe some of that funding supported programs that you have um, and whether or not you've seen an, an increased need. Um, talk about your operating costs. Um, talk about any of the staff that's related to your program. Um, how do you operate your program? Um, is it you know, fewer people but greater supplies or strictly just um, staff, administrative staff, programming staff, that sort of thing? Um, your next question is to talk about your evidence, your data to determine that your program is effective. Um, for mental health applicants, it might be just uh, as simple to talk about your evidence-based intervention. Um, it's a little clear with some of those mental health programs that they're you know, using an existing program um, that is evidence-based. Um, if you aren't clearly using an evidence-based program, then use this opportunity to describe how you collect that data and how you determine those 
metrics. How do you define effective? How do you define success? Uh, how do you capture data when assisting these clients? Um, and so provide that description and some of your numbers basically at this point. Um, and then describe how you calculate your projections. So up a little further, you you would have given us kind of a projection for this year and next year on the number of clients you expect to see. And then here you talk about how you calculated those projections for the coming years. Um, these dollars are to be spent by the end of 2024, um, meaning that that's when our expenditure needs to be complete. Uh, we have to have all of our obligations out at the end of 2024. So this program is to go until expenses incurred until the end of 2024. So we wanna know if those projections that you have for the next two years, um, what you base those on. And so how you know that the requested amount of funding will support those projections. And then um, describe um, if your projections are also including any referral sources, meaning do you get referrals from other nonprofits? Um, do you provide referrals to other nonprofits or other county programs? Um, how did you calculate that amount? And are these unduplicated counts? Um, unduplicated in the sense that from month to month, are you counting um, a resident who maybe received rental assistance for three months? Are those three months, are they counted each time as an existing client? Um, how are you counting your new clients? and counting if you know someone is no longer receiving assistance. Um, we wanted to know that how many are coming in that are um, basically brand new, um, brand new from last month, brand new from last year, um, and where referrals are coming from. So if you can be as descriptive as, as you need to be in this section to talk about those numbers, um, we don't mind if it's too detailed. Next question is describe in detail your organization, how your organization intends to partner with organizations and the county, including legal, legal services and housing networks. There are a lot of uh, programs available to residents and we wanna make sure that there is every available opportunity that is ready for them. Um, we want to know how your organization already partners with others already um, use, utilizes connections in uh, county agencies, making sure that if a resident does qualify for a program in the county, that they can get access to that program. Um, if we know that another organization offers a service that they need, that you're making the appropriate referrals back and forth. So this is how we want to see those connections being made. Uh, we want you to describe basically how you're using every resource within Loudoun County to make sure that the client is receiving everything that they need. Um, even if it comes to state programs too, if there are state programs they qualify for, we wanna make sure that they are aware of those. And then list the steps your organization has taken to promote long-term sustainability. Um, this kind of goes along with uh, partnerships too. Um, if you use partnerships in your long-term plan with your with your client. Um, if you know that you already have a roadmap for your clients, we want you to provide that information. What does it look like from a client's 
perspective when they sit down with an emergency need, um, what is developed in front of them to find those long-term solutions? How are you getting these clients onto a long-term path? Um, especially if we want to see um, success beyond 2024 and beyond these COVID relief dollars. Um, what does long-term success look like and how are we getting there? And I do just want to um, emphasize really quickly, Christine, the importance of these last two questions, especially the partnerships. Um, one of the the notes that we mentioned earlier is is we are going to be selecting organizations who have the capability of adhering to these compliance measures, these reporting um, requirements. So we likely will be funding fewer organizations, but we don't want to exclude residents who may be working with organizations who didn't receive funding. So it's really important to know if an organization receives funding, how they will partner with those who either didn't apply or who didn't receive funding to make sure that we are covering um, the residents who are in need. And, you know, Loudoun County nonprofits are really good at this, both formally and informally. So what we want to do is see what that network looks like for your organization when you're applying, um, just so that we have a good understanding of in what ways um, your organization is helping to cover residents. Thank you. That was exactly how I should have said it. <laughs> That's good. Thank you. Uh, and we did just have one quick question in the chat, mm -hmm. which I answered, yes. but I wanted to get it on the transcript as well. Does the end of 2024 mean June or December? Um, it does mean December. Um, when this is where it gets a little like, you know, fiscal year versus calendar year, um, Treasury has told us that we need to obligate these funds for expenses incurred until December 31st of 2024. So you can use these funds for expenses up until December 31st, 2024. Um, after that, you can, um, we have until 2026 to spend the money what it means, but it wouldn't be for anything that was incurred beyond 2024. So depending on how your organization um, has these funds kind of budgeted through each year, um, you'd have to keep in mind that you can use the funds for costs incurred until the end of calendar year 2024. And we have a couple more questions. First, um, are the partnerships specific to the program you are applying for funding? Uh, not necessarily. Um, we wanted to make sure that if you do have partnerships with other organizations, uh, going back to what Megan had uh, described, if you know that there are organizations that offer rental assistance, and uh, either did not apply or did not receive funding through this program, um, they may need to send referrals to your organization. Um, or if you have identified an underlying disparity or another need, um, as you kind of get down to any root causes, if they're looking for rental assistance, but you know that, hey, their rental need 
may be diminished if we solve some of these other underlying problems. Um, that's a partnership that could help you address those underlying problems, especially if your organization does not have those programs to address those needs. So the partnership can look like a lot of different things. Um, whatever the solutions are that we're identifying for these residents, those are the resources that they want. we want to see. Um, so you can describe however those partnerships play out. Um, if it works in the sense that it's program to program, as a referral or um, a program to a totally different program, or even just referring a, a customer then to maybe a, a county program that might be more suitable as well. So that's what we consider a partnership in this right. in this situation. Great, thanks. And we have one question, um, Kelly. I know that you aren't able to access the chat. If you can unmute yourself and then ask your question. Sure. Thank you. Actually, two questions. One is, is a quick one. Do you have an award range in mind? Uh, it's going to be dependent on um, the funding. So we have 2.5 million available and it really is going to be based on what you expect to expend. Um, we don't really have a range in mind for each award. Okay, thank you. And then the second question, um, because you stress the um, robust reporting needs for this particular opportunity, um, if we are in the process of hiring someone, would it be wise for us to include the reporting um, responsibility in their job description? I mean, are we going to need to hire someone who has the capacity to provide you what you need to know? So I think that's an organizational decision that um, your leadership could be able to answer. I think having someone with the capacity to report at um, a high level, or in this case, a very discrete set of expenditures is going to be beneficial regardless of funding um, or funding source. So. Uh, it really would be up to your organization, but it's always good to have someone who can provide reporting at a discrete level for expenditures. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, we have no more questions, Christine. Okay. Um, the next page is where we would, uh, the application would get into more detail about your funding request. Um, if you have never applied for any sort of um, ARPA funding or CARES Act funding through the county, um, you would want to provide some information about some of the COVID relief funds that you may have applied for or received in the past. Um, if For those of you that did apply for Tranche 1, you've already provided a lot of this information. Um, so this would be especially for new applicants. You'd want to tell us if you've received any CARES funds, um, PPP loan, things like that um, in this section here. Um, based on the funding category, you would then give us um, your total amount of funds requested. Um, this would basically then you give us your spending plan for your just the funds that you're requesting, not knowing the um, you know, each individual program, um, whether or not that's the program budget or just the 
um, if it's a smaller portion that you're just requesting for these funds, um, just stick to description of how the county funds um, would be spent. So you provide your description here of your services for which you're requesting funding, um, any administrative or operating expenses, um, including expenses for salaries, uh, full-time, part-time staff um, used um, as a percent of like an FTE, uh, number of volunteers we'd like to know as well. Um, we, you know, if your program uses a lot of volunteer time uh, to make it happen, uh, please let us know that information as well. Um, if you are re requesting funds for administrative expenses, um, give us some information about how you covered those expenses pre-COVID. Um, if you, you know, maybe have never actually received any relief funds for your administrative expenses, but just give us an idea of um, if you were planning on using uh, this grant dollars for administrative expenses, um, how was that covered in the past? And then additional breakdown from the 2023 to 2024 years um, kind of goes along with your projection of um, residents served for the next couple of years. Um, so we can get an idea of, you know, your cost is based on those those numbers, the projection of, of residents that you will be serving. Um, oh, I should probably go back here. The funding request, um, depending on which program you selected, you will see a specific um table here and um actually maybe i should show you what it looks like so if i pick rental assistance my funding page will give boxes for rental assistance same for food assistance um so for the next two fiscal years you'll kind of break down operating costs salaries supplies equipment things like that um to break that all down into specific categories. And then last page is your financial requirements. Uh, so your IRS 990 forms that we discussed, um, other financial statements. So either if you have an audit file or um, if not, then just provide your financial statement and balance sheet. And that should go back to 2020. Um, statement of activities and financial position, um, you will give a just brief description of financial changes during the pandemic, um, how that has changed, whether it's a decrease in revenue, um, increase in numbers of residents requiring services, um, anything like that. Just give us a, a good narrative of what the last two years have been like financially for your organization. And then the next box, you would explain any special considerations. Um, if you were not able to provide any of the documentation that's required, um, provide an explanation here. Um, you also have another additional attachments below. Um, if you have a document that helps to illustrate your special consideration that you're requesting, you can put that there. Um, and then close it out with your authorizing official and email, and this is considered your electronic signature. Uh, and then another spot for any additional uploading of documents. And then you would submit. And we have one question in the chat. Um, yes. Since these are federal funds and this organization has a federal negotiated indirect rate agreement, can they use the federal indirect? 
Um, yes. Um, we haven't really defined the indirect costs here. Um, our financial manager considers this to be a program that it would not, a lot of those indirect costs often roll up into the program itself. Um, so I guess that's a question that maybe we could discuss further if we do want some additional clarification. Uh, the final rule, uh, just for your information, the final rule does state that unless there has, unless there is a negotiated rate, um, if there's not, then 10% is a de minimis rate. Um, the county, I don't believe, has a negotiated rate. So I guess um, for your organization, that could come into play later. Um, I suppose we could discuss it further with, with our financial team to, to know exactly how we are. Yes. Yeah. Right. And and so if you do have an indirect rate that you would apply, you obviously wouldn't be applying for operating expenses um, as a, a double dip, for instance. Um, so we can have a conversation with those of you who do have federally um, negotiated indirect rates to discuss further how that would look. Um, and Kelly, if you would like to unmute yourself and ask your question. Thank you. If we are asking for funding for both rental and utility help, um, on that budget page you just showed us, Christine, is it possible to um, include utility expenses as well? Uh, are you saying if you're applying for multiple programs? Yes. Did um, you say we could? Yes, you can. This is where you would uh, use separate applications. So you would have one application for utility that you would just describe your utility assistance program and then the um, budget for that program. So um, like where I, I indicated, um, you know, click the rental assistance option later in the page, I only got rental assistance budget information to fill in. So if I were to go back and click utility assistance, I would only be given boxes for my utility assistance budget. Thank you so much. I, I didn't understand that, but I do now. Okay. Okay. Um, so if uh, unless there's other questions with the application, I'll go on to some of the reporting piece of it. Oh, we, have, um, we have one more question. It looks mm -hmm. like Trish, you're raising your hand if you want to unmute your line and ask your question. Thank you. A um, couple of questions. My usual overthinking question. Uh, we run on a fiscal year that is different than calendar year. What do you want in terms of the year breaks? So when you're saying 2021, do you want my fiscal 21 or do you want um, the fiscal year that ends in 22 and begins in 21. And this is for which? Okay, so for the financial documents that you're asking, oh, yeah. you're yeah. asking for 19, 20, and 21, do you want my fiscal 21 or do you want fiscal 22 in the 21 category? However your statements are put together already is what we will accept. So if yours are put together on a fiscal calendar of July through June, you can submit those. If it's on a calendar year, you can submit it that way as well. We will accept them how they are, how you already have them organized. 
Yes, I understand that. But the, the question that I'm asking, under 2021, mm-hmm. do you want my fiscal 21, which ended in 2021, June Correct. of 21, or do you mm-hmm. want my fiscal 22, which began in 2021? I see what you mean. Uh, yeah. Your fiscal 22. Okay. So whatever's yeah. the latest. Correct. Okay, yes. got it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Okay. Federal reporting requirements. Um, since these are um, these ARPA funds, we the county is responsible for a couple different reporting um, timelines. Um, we are required to submit quarterly expenditure reports um, on the calendar quarter, and then we uh, provide an annual recovery plan performance report. The quarterly expenditure report is pretty straightforward. That's where we just show the Treasury how much we are spending on each of the program and projects that we have running, um, what we've spent in that current period and cumulatively, and programmatic data, which is mostly our demographics. Um, in the case of rental assistance, we'd show how many households uh, received assistance or legal aid or something like that. So it's a strict count of of who we're helping, how many people we've been helping, uh, and then supporting document documentation. So um, this is very similar to what um, those of you who did receive funding in tranche one, uh, same idea, um, showing your expenses for the quarter, providing your supporting documentation for those expenses, and what those expenses went to to, to provide in terms of services, um, an account of your demographics, and the number of, of ser- sessions, services, or clients served. The recovery plan is where we get into a lot more detail about how these programs have been effective. And we want uh, to show the uh, Treasury our use of funds. Um, You are all welcome. We can even provide a link. Uh, We did submit our 2022 recovery plan back in July, and that's a much longer narrative document of how the county is using these federal dollars to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. This is where we need a lot of information from our nonprofits to make distinct indications of the progress of the recovery, um, who we're helping, how we're helping them. Um, This is where we also have to illustrate our efforts to promote equitable outcomes, um, which is where we are showing, you know, how we've targeted uh, underserved populations, how we're making sure that the way the county is spending these relief dollars is done in an equitable way. how we're identifying maybe some barriers um, to receiving access. If we're identifying clients that weren't receiving funds or services before the pandemic because they didn't know they qualified. So that's a case where we see a barrier. They didn't know they need, had access to this kind of stuff. So we wanna make sure we're identifying ways and removing those barriers, gaining access and applying an equitable lens to before, during, and after this pandemic. Use of evidence, uh, We this is where we have to talk about how much of these relief dollars are going to programs that use uh, an evidence-based intervention. Uh, if we're not using an evidence-based intervention that comes out of a clearinghouse or something, then we want to um, use data to support our um, our efforts. Uh, And then performance reports, including output and outcome measures, how we've determined our metrics and how we're making these counts. 
Um, what is expected in documentation? Like I said, we would use your uh, supporting documentation for your spending for that quarter. Um, your use of evidence and your valuation plan. Um, this is where like the logic model helps too. So you know that with these inputs, you get these outputs and outcomes and your de uh, demographic distribution eligibility criteria. Um, with this case, um, your first report would probably be due January 15th, which would cover July 1st to December 31st. And then, um, quarterly thereafter. So your first report would be for since your beginning of the program to um, to December 31st. So that would be a little bit longer one. Uh, documentation again for the quarterly expenditures, you'd be going uh, your expenses by month in each category with the total, copies of any invoices, receipts, payroll, um, explanation of uh, invoice or payroll calculation, your demographics, your population that's being served, uh, de uh, distribution by ethnicity, race, age, and gender. Um, unduplicated residents served. So we maybe want to see if you have been capturing any of this information. If you know that you've been making referrals, um, that is super helpful inf information for us. Um, we want to get an idea maybe uh, at the end of the program too, if, if how we've been utilizing our partnerships. Um, evidence and evaluation, we want to talk about, and this comes into play more in um, the annual report as well, um, our measurements of how we are determining the responses and the outcomes for our residents, how we are determining that information, whether it's surveys of residents, just um, um, monitor of, of resident outcomes as time goes on. Um, that sort of thing. I think I saw a question. Yes, reporting template. Yes, absolutely. Um, you probably, we use a reporting template in tranche one, and you can expect to see that again. Um, it captures a lot of very helpful information. So we're going to stick with what works. Uh, thank you, Barb. Uh, so you'll be seeing that template again. So um, you'll get another training for reporting requirements and we'll go through how to use that template and and in those spreadsheets when that time comes but yes you'll get those tools to help you get that reporting done right and, and with that um if you do have other questions um please go ahead and unmute your line and ask the question Hello, I wanted to follow up on that, uh, the template question, because we weren't part of Trench One, and I was mm -hmm. wondering if we could see that template before applying, because we're running into a situation where we apply for funding, and then uh, each each funder has different, you know, a different set of questions, so our surveys start exploding, and, and it becomes hard to manage, and so we kind of want to see if we, if we can easily comply with what is needed for this funding, or, you know, or, or if this is not a good opportunity for us. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, we can I provide a, that. I have a, I'm not really sure it's a question per se, um, and I hope I can articulate what I want to say. Um, but um, when the availability of ARPA funds ended um, in June, of course, that began the doldrums of summer and fundraising, and the recession impact um, also um 
you know, was more prevalent, which again, I think you could probably turn back to relating to COVID. However, the evidence that we were able to show based on the fact that we were able to give people, you know, funding to be able to overcome their rental and food issues is going to be a bit skewed because we were doing a really good job of keeping those people you know, more um, sustainable, but now, October almost, there it's a totally different story. So I, I just hope, like I say, our evidence will, um, I, I don't know if balance is the right word, or, or, or it'll just, it won't be skewed, if that is, I hope, what. <laughs> and, and Bonnie, you're talking about the, in the application? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I think um, the way you're explaining it, you would just need to explain it that way in the application. Um, uh, and is that realistic to um, have that concern? There are so many confounding factors um, at this point, and and I think with with Treasury and Christine, you can feel free to jump in. But with Treasury's um, expectation of looking at underlying impacts and disproportionately impacted populations um you know that's the main area of focus so what we would want to see is the evidence related to those populations um which is is kind of who you're serving anyway so I think we would recognize if the data are skewed and if there's a logical explanation for that then that's what you would want to include in the application and of course, you do have the fact that now this would be, you could rely on two years of data, which would cover a lot more mm-hmm. time with all the nuances it could certainly develop. <laughs> correct, correct, yeah. Um, all right, so we'll go to, we have two hands here, um, Tamara and then Veronica. So if you'll unmute your lines, and then we'll go to Tim. Tim, after that. Um, Yes, this is Tamara Arsenault with the Center for Adoption Support and Education. And I I did put my question in the chat Mm -hmm. and it's, um, you know, it's maybe a little peculiar to our type of service we provide, but maybe other spaces as as well. The child's the primary client in foster care. The child's in the protective custody of the county. So the child is the county's responsibility in this instance, but sometimes placement ultimately, if they can't return to their birth family, um, you know, with an extended family member, may be technically a resident outside the county. Um, And so sometimes we run into issues with funders who get very focused on, so wait, that person who participated in the family therapy is not actually a resident of our county. So I just, you know, if we explain that kind of nuance, um, and I don't know with this type of the ARPA funding, how how much that is is of concern. Yeah, and and so I think the question, my answer to that question would be as long as the child remains in the county's um in the county's system as a county client, they would qualify. Okay. So then the extended family members who are coming into therapy as deemed appropriate by our clinicians, we can count them as people directly serving yes, because they, the family therapy. Got yes, it. Because the because child, as long the as they system. have a transferred count custody. Yes. Perfect. That makes yep. sense. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. All right. Veronica, then Kim. Thank you once again. Um, so I, 
I had a question of the application versus when the funds can be used. So I heard the funds can be used through December 31st, 2024, but the application references in a couple of places, you know, June through July, through June through July of the following year. And so, you know, number of participants and expenditures and stuff. So what, um, how does it work in terms of the reporting? We're going to keep reporting through December 2024, um, but in the application, we're only making predictions of, kind of the, the school year, fiscal year, the June through July. Um, I, I don't, I guess I, I'm confused about matching those. I mean, are we promising to serve this many participants in these two other periods, but then we're actually reporting six months later? You know, I don't know. That's, that's a comment? really good that's a really good question, Veronica. And that's something that we um, that may have been an oversight from staff. So what I suggest is um, I'm going to look to Barb to see if we have any applications that have been submitted yet. If we don't, we can change that to, to reflect December 2024. Um, if we do have that, then we will amend our guidance to state that the second year be 18 months. So it would be July through well, July of 2023 through December 31 of 2024. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, and Kim? Sorry, I couldn't get my mute off. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, thanks. Thanks so much for all this information. Super easy question. Is tomorrow's presentation the same as today's? Yes. Okay, perfect. Thanks, y'all. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, any other questions? All right, well, just um, please note that uh, we do have the nonprofit, nonprofits at loudon.gov um, email address open, and we do have um, staff monitoring it daily. And all of the questions that you've raised here will go into the Frequently Asked Questions document and onto the web page. Um, on the county's website. And with that, we will thank you very much for attending this session. And please let us know if you have any additional questions on the application process or um, any of our other resources uh, for ARPA. And Tracy just plugged the the one um, opportunity that I was that I was mentioning at the beginning. We do actually have a grants management professional development series uh, that kicks off in the first week of October. So if you haven't already signed up for that, please take a look at the web page and um, see if that's a right fit for your organization and and sign up and join us. So thank you again. We appreciate it. And let us know if you have any questions. Have a great day. Thanks so much.